Luke chapter 2, page 715 is where we're going to be. So if you are with us last week, I just kind of want to give you the cliff notes. Last week we had one big idea together. In the midst of our time, we just really asked God that he would help us create space in our lives so that God could awaken the wonder of Christmas again. And so we just talked about how do you create space in your life so that God can begin to awaken the wonder of Christmas. And so for some of you, this is kind of a first time awakening. You're here, you're not a follower of Jesus. You're not sure if you believe this or not. And you're here and you're investigating and you're searching. And so last week we talked about how do you come to this story in Luke chapter two and look at the realness and the bigness and the goodness of Jesus and let God use those things to awaken some of the wonder in you for the first time. And kind of my confession with you last week if you were here, is some of us don't need to be awakened for the first time. We need to be reawakened because we've lost the wonder. And sometimes the hardest month of the year for me to really tune into the things of Jesus is the month of December. It just gets so busy and crazy. I go from one thing to the next, and sometimes it's really hard to slow down and to just drink in the wonder of who Jesus is. And so last week we talked about that. How do you create space in your life to awaken the wonder of Jesus? And we did that from the first part of Luke chapter 2. And initially our goal was to jump onto a different passage of scripture this morning and look at a different angle of the Christmas story. But after last Sunday, we had so many conversations that came up on Sunday that came up in our house churches, things that were emailed in, where people kept asking, okay, how do we kind of press deeper into this place of wonder? And so we've, we've called an audible, we've called an audible this week. We're going to jump back into Luke chapter 2. And I just kind of want to go deeper and say, how do we keep pressing into the wonder? Because I'm convinced when you really experience the wonder of what makes this story this story, it will drive you to hunger for holiness. It will, it will drive you to hunger for community. It will drive you into the mission of God. But without wonder, without wonder, the, the story of Christmas is like a person that's standing behind their car trying to push it without gas. You can only get so far. So this morning, I just want to give us some more space to kind of drink in the wonder. So last week, if the big idea was how do we awaken the wonder, this morning, the big idea is how do you make sure your life is shaped by the wonder that God begins to awaken in us. And so one of my kind of favorite Christmas stories is told by a guy named, guy named Paul Harvey, famous radio, uh, radio personality. Maybe you've heard of him before. But he, he tells this beautiful story that took place during one Christmas, I think it's back in the 50s or 60s, many years ago, um, told this story about this family in the Northeast. It was Christmas Eve, and, and the family was not particularly religious, especially the, the husband. He only would go to church when his wife would make him, typically kind of Christmas or Easter. He didn't like going. But it's this one Christmas Eve in particular. It's snowing outside. He wasn't feeling very well. His family was getting ready to walk out the door for Christmas Eve mass, and he looks at him and says, you know, this year I'm gonna sit out. Say a prayer for me. Tell me what happened. And he sent his wife and his kids out the door that Christmas Eve. They began to walk down the street to the little church that was in their neighborhood uh, for their Christmas Eve mass. And Paul Harvey goes on to tell the story that this father was then sitting down in his living room looking out the large picture frame window in, in the front of their house. It was snowing outside. He was just sitting looking out the window watching the snow. And as he was watching it, these three birds come flying as fast as they can, trying to get in from, uh, from the storm. And they nail the window and fall down, kind of hurt and flapping around in the snow. And he feels bad for him. He goes, man, these, these birds are injured outside in the snow. And so uh, the husband throws on his coat and his boots. He runs outside and he sees these three little birds flopping around in the snow. And he says, how can I, how can I help them? What can I do for them? And so he bends down and he tries to pick these little birds up and they begin to jump away. And then he has this idea, hey, I can maybe 
lure them into my garage, you know, it's warm and safe, I can feed them there. So he goes and he opens up the garage and he turns on the lights and he tries to lure the birds into the garage, but they won't, they won't go into the garage. So then he comes up with another idea. He takes these breadcrumbs and he begins to throw the breadcrumbs out to the birds. Hey, we, we come in to the garage and they won't even follow the breadcrumbs. And Paul Harvey begins to describe the thought process that was going on in this husband's mind. He said he looked at the birds and he thought, what a frightening creature I must be to them. I'm so large, they don't know who I am, they don't know my intentions, they can't understand me. And then he began to have this train of thought, if only I could be a bird, if I could get smaller, if I could speak their language, if I could be covered in feathers, I could, I could say, hey, this way to warmth, this way to safety. And the man says he was having this thought process roll through his head. He heard the church bells ringing down the street, and he went, man, this is the message of Christmas. That God, in all of his bigness and his realness and his goodness, saw us in the midst of our helplessness as we were flailing in the snow as we tried to get out of the storms of life. And God went, if only I could become a bird. If only I could put on human skin. If only you could know my intentions. And that's the, that's the story of Christmas, that, that God has come to us in our place on his terms and his ways. And when you begin to drink this in, when you begin to sh- really take this story in, it, it moves us in profound ways if we'll let the implications of this reality hit us. And so last week we kind of looked at verses 1 through 14 of Luke chapter 2. Um, but this morning I want to start back in verse 8. Jesus has just been born. He's laying in the manger. And there's getting ready to be this this cosmic birth announcement. There's going to be a search, and there's going to be all of these things unfolding. And before we really talk about how the wonder of this story shapes us, I want to make sure we see the story for what it is. So jump back to verse 8, and I want you to, to picture this as it unfolds. Jesus has just been born, and it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause you great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah of the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloth lying in a manger, and then suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. I love that. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go see, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Verse 19 is where we're going to dig in this morning. I don't know if you underline in your Bible, highlight in your Bible, but take a mental snapshot of verse 19. But Mary treasured up these things, and she pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the word of God out of Luke chapter 2. My prayer this morning, as we go through the stories, is that some of you will begin to hear the church bells ringing in the distance, and you'll begin to understand the wonder of what it is that God has done in your heart. And I think the key to this is found in verse 19, where Luke begins to describe what Mary did. But before we get there, I want you to see the story. I love the way the story starts, kind of verses 8 through 14. It's this like cosmic birth announcement. And I know sometimes you read the story of Scripture and it's just so black and white. It's so two-dimensional. We miss the glory of what's happening. But these shepherds are in a field minding their own business and the heavens are torn open and thousands of angels like burst onto the scene and they go, he's here! 
The one you've been waiting for is here. And I think sometimes we read this story and we, we make the angels so prim and proper with their trumpets and their wings and their halos and we make them so boring and formal, you know, the Lord, the Messiah is here. He has come to thou, you know, and like we picture this, but the glory of heaven bursting into the scene saying the one your life was made for is here. I remember when my first son was born, Micah, we didn't know if he was going to be a boy or a girl. We wanted it to be a surprise. And so we go through the labor and delivery, and he's born. And it's this just amazing moment where you lay eyes on your child for the first time. And Sydney and I are just overwhelmed by the, the reality of that moment. And then it dawns on me, there are a lot of people in the waiting room that are anticipating news of his arrival. And it was my job, you know, because Sydney had just gone through labor. It was my job to run down the hall, to run into the waiting room. And it's still one of my favorite memories of my whole life. I remember just running down the hallway, getting to the waiting room. And there are parents and grandparents and cousins and nephews and friends and complete strangers who are there for other births and other <laughs> announcements. And I run in as though the world is my oyster. I'm like, he's here, he's here. And everybody just starts cheering. And it probably wasn't as big as it was in my mind, but they're cheering and there's fireworks works and there's tears and there's hugging I remember like hugging and kissing my parents and my mother-in-law and father-in-law there's even this stranger this lady I didn't know about six years old this large Italian woman comes up and bear hugs me <laughs> kisses me on the cheek she's like you're gonna make a great dad I'm like you don't even know me but thanks and j just this scene unfolding and I go have you ever thought about this reality that it wasn't just humanity waiting for Jesus to come but heaven was waiting for Jesus to come. And they burst into the waiting room of our human experience and said, he's here. The one that you're made for is here. And there's this huge birth announcement. And I love the shepherd's response. One of them says, we should probably go see that. Like, <laughs> that seems like a big deal. <laughs> like, you know, this cosmic army declaring the birth of God's one and only son and it says, we better go see this. And I go, have you ever imagined what the search process must have, must have looked like for the shepherds? I don't know what you picture when you picture shepherds. For some reason, I used to always kind of picture these like nice, kind of clean and proper little boys that were shepherds because that's typically that played the shepherds in the plays at church. But shepherds were kind of roughnecks. I mean, I want you to think about the, the job description of a shepherd. A shepherd signed up to work a job where they would camp out by themselves in the wilderness, and they knew a large part of their job was defending the sheep from wild animals and people who would come to steal the sheep. I go, how much of a crazy person do you have to be to say, I'm going to sleep in a field, and a few nights a week I'll have to wake up in the middle of the sleep and go to battle with a wild animal or a person coming for the sheep? These were roughneck guys. And I love the, the angels come to these roughneck guys and they say, hey, a savior has been born. We want you to go looking for him. Now, you've got to remember the way the Christmas story unfolds. You know, we always think of the bright star leading them to the house. That was with the wise men. That was not with the shepherds. There was no star leading the shepherds. The shepherds just had to go searching. It'd be like God showing up to you and saying, hey, the Lord has been born to a ranch-style house in Creve Hall. Go find him tonight. You're like, wait, which ranch-style house in Creve Hall? And so picture this scene, these, these shepherds, these roughnecks, smoking their Marlboro Reds, walking through the neighborhood of Bethlehem, knocking on the door at midnight. Hey, is there a baby in here? <laughs> How crazy was this scene? 
And yet I wish we could stop here because one of the clearest pictures of the gospel in all of the Bible are here with the shepherds finding Jesus. It says when they go searching for him, they find him. That's the promise of the Bible. That's the promise for any of you that are here today. If you want to find Jesus, you go searching for him. He will be found. He wants to be found. And these shepherds find Jesus. And I go, what would it have been like for these dirty, roughneck shepherds to lay their eyes on the one that created them? To lay their eyes on the one that had made them. Don't you know that that was just messing with their minds? What would it have been like for those dirty shepherd's hands to hold a holy God? That's a picture of the gospel right there. Have you ever visited the house of a family that has a newborn baby? You walk in the door and the mom is there with hand sanitizer. The dad is spraying you down with Lysol. They put you in a hazmat suit and then you can look at a baby through the glass. Like you, can, you can't touch the baby, right? It's not just that God came. It's that God came in the vulnerability of a baby and allowed himself to be handled by the disgusting hands of humanity. Wow. It's a gospel. There's this birth announcement. There's this search. There's this discovery. And then I love the, the shepherds. They go tell everybody. Just knocking on doors. We found them. We found them. He's here. And it says the crowds were amazed and the shepherds went home verse 20 praising God for everything that they had experienced now uh, here's one of the things that kind of hit me this week I've never kind of thought about this side of the Christmas story as I've tried to drink in the wonder of what God is doing here in Luke chapter 2 I've always loved the story of the shepherds I love their passion I love their zeal I love their grittiness and their dirtiness and I love the fact that God would come to someone like them I love their evangelistic, passionate hearts that they go out and share everything that they just discovered. But here's one of the things that kind of hit me uh, this week as I was reading this story and thinking about it. As great as this moment of Christmas was for the shepherds, I want you to really tune in on this. As great as it was, it seems as though it only had a seasonal impact on them. It seems as though it only had a seasonal impact. We don't know the rest of the story, we don't know where they ended up after this, and so I don't want to take too much creative license, but I want you to just kind of imagine with me for a minute. Did you notice that 30 years later, when Jesus begins his earthly ministry as a grown man, when Jesus starts his ministry, there's not a gang of shepherds that are there with him going, we've been waiting for this. 30 years in the making. There's not a group from Bethlehem going, finally, Jesus, you're getting started. We're here, we're ready for you. What happens when Jesus begins his earthly ministry? Everybody says, who is this guy? Where'd he come from? What's the backstory here? And it was just dawning on me this week as, as big and as beautiful and as bold as this spiritual and physical experience was for, for the shepherds, it seems as though it only impacted them for a season. It seems as though it kind of wore off. And I, I, I just wrestled with that this week. Going, man, hasn't that been your story at times? Hasn't that been my story at times? Where you come to this experience of who God is and you go, Wow, this is amazing, this is amazing, this is amazing. Then there's Monday. It's back to work, back to the fields, back to life as you know it. Or sometimes at Christmas, man, look at who God is. That when we were flailing around in the snow, he became one of us and he drew us into the warmth of his kingdom. And then you get to January and it's gone. What's next? How's it go? I think one of the things that's really kind of hit me this week is sometimes in my eagerness to, to share the wonder 
I don't slow down long enough to be shaped by the wonder. Sometimes in my desire to, to share with somebody else what it is that's just happened, I don't let that thing press down. I see one of my friends who yesterday sent me this amazing article, and it really impacted me. It was a, kind of a dark, kind of heavy, very truth-filled article. She sent it to me. I read it, and my first response was, who can I share this with? And I just sensed the Holy Spirit saying, Dave, before you share it, why don't you make sure you've soaked it in? Why don't you make sure you've been shaped by it before you send it out? Or I think about a few years ago being at a, a conference, and there were like 10,000 of us in this huge arena, and a speaker was up on stage, and he, he was speaking, and it was an amazing talk. I remember looking around the, the arena, and amongst those 10,000 people, you could just see the glow of cell phones on everybody's faces because we were tweeting out just like line by line everything that he was saying. You know, that's the new version of amen in churches. Like, we don't yell out amen. We just tweet it if we like it. And so you look around the arena and you see the cell phones. And I'll never forget what the speaker said. He, he stopped in the middle of it and he said, hey, 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 hey. Can you put down the phones for just a minute? And before we try to share this, Let's make sure we're being shaped by it. Let's make sure we're soaking it in. Let's make sure we're taking it in. And I've realized so often in my life, man, that's just my story. And I do it all the time spiritually. I do it all the time with, with Christmas. It's the meaning of Christmas, the story of Christmas. I go, but is it shaping you? Is, is, is the reality of this story beginning to mold you and form you? And so I've always paid attention to the shepherds in the story, but I think the real beautiful picture, of the key to the story is Mary in the midst of it. I think what, what Luke is trying to show us in the life of Mary is, is so important for people like me, so important for people like us who tend to be so busy, who are going, look back at verse 19 with me. This is where I really want us to dig in this morning. In the midst of all the sharing and all the excitement and all the things that the shepherds are doing, notice about Mary, it says, but Mary. In other words, Mary did something different. Mary the mother, listen to this, but Mary treasured up all of these things and she pondered them in her heart. When everyone else was being so overwhelmed, so amazed, so excited about what it was that was happening that first Christmas season, it says Mary, the mother of Jesus, was doing something different. I think this is important because the shepherds, it seems like the impact of Christmas on them was seasonal, but what you discover in Mary is that the impact of Christmas would be sustaining on her. It'd be lasting. She'd be there through the ministry with the ups and downs. She'd be there at the cross. She'd be there at the empty tomb. It even tells us in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, that she would be the one leading the prayer meeting amongst Jesus' followers after he'd returned to heaven, that there was something in this moment that became a sustaining moment for Mary. And I love it because Luke is going to give us a glimpse into how this moment became a sustaining moment for her. He says, when everyone was so busy sharing, she was busy treasuring. She was busy pondering. She was busy taking in, look back at verse 19, into the heart, into the heart. Now, when's the last time the story of Christmas made its way all the way into your heart? When's the last time it got all the way in? Around our house, we've, we've got three little kids and uh, all five and under, which means we have messes around our house all the time. And so kind of two common items you can find around a house if you have small kids typically are straws and sponges. And I want you to think about this. You know, straws are important because when you have a cup with a lid on it, you can put a straw in it and you can prevent some spills from time to time if, if you get the lid on the, the cup fast enough. 
but we need sponges around the house because there's a lot of, there's a lot of messes and a lot of things to clean up. And I, I was thinking about this week, the difference between a straw and a sponge. A straw, by its design, is created so that something can pass through it without absorbing any of it, right? That's the whole purpose of a straw, to get something from one point to another without any of the substance being absorbed or lost. And so a straw is designed for something to just pass through. How is a sponge designed? It's not a trick question. It's to to soak things up. Literally, a, a sponge, every fiber of its being is designed to take in and to hold on to the liquid that it's just come in contact with. And this is the thing that I was realizing this week as I was just thinking about the wonder of Christmas and some of the questions that came up last week is so often I come to this season and I receive the wonder of Christmas like a straw instead of a sponge. And it passes through me over the course of 25 days. But it doesn't really shape me. It doesn't really form me. I wonder how many of us have thought, okay, God, I wonder what January is going to look like this year because surely it's going to be totally different after we encounter the baby in the manger. See, for a lot of us, it's not even a way of thinking because we've already postured our hearts more like straws than sponges, more like shepherds than mothers. And the wonder and the glory and the treasure of this season just passes right through us. I want you to think about this, what happens when the wonder of Christmas begins to fill your life like a sponge, when it begins to get into the deepest part of your heart. Um, I want to just kind of think about three ways that it begins to affect us. I think when the wonder of Christmas saturates the entirety of our being, it changes the way we think about God, and it changes the way we think about other people around us. So kind of this first thing that I want you to see is when the wonder of Christmas begins to saturate your life, it changes the way you think. Before you really take this story in, I think a lot of us begin to to really buy into this narrative that God is angry and distant, that he's foreign and far off. But when you take in the wonder and the story of this idea that God has come near, that he put on human skin so that he could be known, it instantly changes the way you really start thinking about God if you'll take this all the way into the heart. There's no way you can hold this belief that God is angry and distant and foreign if you've really absorbed the reality and the truth of the Christmas story. Because you see a God that would come in closeness to those who are acting like his enemy and entrust them with the vulnerability of his very own son. I mean, can you imagine our president looking at ISIS and saying, hey, here's, here's how I love you. I will send you my daughter and you can care for my daughter. If you want to know my love for you, care for my daughter. We go, oh, that's, a, that's the dumbest foreign policy we've ever experienced or thought of. And yet it's the foreign policy of heaven. Let me entrust. Let me entrust my son to you. And when you take this in, when you really take it in, it begins to change the way you think about God. It changes the way you think about those that are around you. Who's the worst person you know? Turn to someone next to you and tell them someone you hate. No, don't really do that. No. You're all about to lie. You're going to go something very vague. Hitler. You know, like something safe. (laughs) Who's the person? Who's the person you enjoy the least? God came for them. God came for them. And he came for you. And when you drink in the wonder of this story... It doesn't just change the way you think about God. It changes the way you think about those who are around you. Kind of second implication of the wonder coming in is it changes the way you feel. 
Change the way you feel in, in relationship to God. And sometimes this is the slowest thing to change. It is amazing to me how many Christians who have been saved by the grace and the blood of Jesus still are walking around as though they are under the weight of condemnation. Some of you are in this room, like your first thoughts when you think of God are that God is displeased with you, that God is angry with you, that God is distant from you. And before we drink in the story of Christmas, before we take in the wonder, our feelings about God so often are feelings of condemnation, but when you really begin to take in the story, it's no longer feelings of condemnation. It becomes feelings of covenantal love. For God so loved the world that he what? He sent. He gave. His one and only son. Jesus said, if you want to understand the covenantal love of God, look at the gift that he's given you in Jesus. Wow. When you begin to drink this in, I just want to ask you, you don't have to raise your hand, don't shake your heads. I just want you to ponder. In the recesses of your heart, do you feel as though you're loved by God? Do you really feel it? If you don't, chances are the wonder of Christmas is passing through you like a straw. Changes the way you feel about this little gathering we call the church. And so I know you look around this place and it's like, man, we're a bunch of screw-ups. We're a bunch of shepherds with dirty hands. Why did we get invited to the party? What's the deal? I think sometimes it's so easy to be down on the church. But I think when you understand the story of Christmas, you begin to really take into your life what it is that Luke describes in Mary's life. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, Luke chapter one, verse 28, where the, the angel shows up to Mary and he says, greetings. <laughs> he says, you who are highly favored, God is with you. And you can just imagine Mary, she's looking around like, who, me? Like, I'm this 15-year-old virgin, unwed mother. What are you talking about? Who, me? And God looks at her and says, listen, you get the joy and the privilege of carrying around in your belly the wonder of God, the glory of God. The Bible tells us that the church in so many ways is like Mary. That despite all of our flaws and all of our brokenness, that when we gather together in the name of Jesus, we get to carry around in our midst the glory that was in her belly. Jesus says, wherever two or three of you are gathered, I'm there also. This isn't a gathering to listen to another speech or to sing more songs. This is a place where we come together and we behold the glory of a God that's come to earth and his spirit here among us. And it changes the way that we view each other. We come in and go, wow, look at what God's doing. Changes the way we think. Changes the way we feel. Changes the way we act. Because when you see that God has done this for us, we come in here not with condemnation and fear and shame, but we, we boldly approach God. Not because we're good, but because he is good and because he came. We, we come with this boldness, understanding that if God did not want to be known by you, he would not have come to earth. But because he wants to be known, you can chase after. You can go. You can seek him out. He wants to be known. It changes the way that we approach the Lord. It changes the way we act towards him. Changes the way we act towards those who don't yet know Jesus. Several weeks ago, Sydney and I were in Memphis. We were working with the church there. And there's a couple who lives in Memphis, good friends of ours. They were actually a part of Ethos. Right after Ethos got started, they were in one of our very first house churches. And God just did some amazing things in their life over the years. They moved to Memphis. Uh, they, they have been living in the inner city of Memphis. And so Sydney and I show up in Memphis. We're hanging out with this couple, Randy and Lindsay. Some of you probably know them. And we go and grab pizza, and we're sitting in this park after worship that Sunday morning, just 
kind of hearing stories, and we just asked the question, hey, what's next for your life? Like, what are you guys doing? You know, they're a year or two younger than us. They have two kids. The third one's on the way. And they said, well, hopefully, Lord willing, if, if he's kind to us, at the end of this next year, we're moving to the Arabian Peninsula, where we're going to study Arabic for the next five years, and then we want to plant churches amongst unreached people groups in the Arab world. And I went like, oh, I was hoping to lose 10 pounds next year. I mean, that's a, <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Like, how, how'd you get there? Like, don't you know how dangerous that is? Don't you know what's going and, and, and I'll never forget just sitting there with them in the park. They said, yeah. But we started looking at who God is and what God's done. And we started asking the question, who are the people in the world that don't know him? And it didn't seem like anybody else was going. So we thought, okay, we'll go, we'll go. I thought, man, that's a picture of someone that's absorbed the Christmas story like a sponge. And it revealed to me that so often the wonder just flows through me. But what about you? Has the story gotten all the way in? How's the story shaping you and changing you in the midst of this season? I want to leave us with just a couple of practical things as we get ready to go to communion. So if you want to be shaped by the wonder, what are a couple of things you could try this week? If you want to be shaped by the wonder this season, just number one, here's something to try. Wake up every morning and embrace that this reality is a gift. Embrace the gift. Embrace the gift of Christmas. Embrace that God came to earth, not because you were good, but because God was good. That, that God laid in that manger, not because the shepherds were trustworthy, but because God is sovereign. Embrace the gift of Christmas that what we are here gathering around today has only come to us, not because of our worth, but because of his immeasurable goodness. But with every gift, isn't there a responsibility for those that receive it? So on Christmas, you may receive a gift under, under the tree. And when you open that gift, you know, you're reminded, you're reminded that that gift pointed to the goodness of the giver, not of the receiver, but you still had to open it. You still had to do something with it. And I think we have to be reminded that every morning, just waking up, and going, God, this is a gift that you came to us. What is it in this story that you want me to unwrap this week? How can I take this in deeper to my life? How can I ponder this? How can I live into this? How can I treasure this gift that you've given me more fully? To hear the story of Christmas and then to jump into Monday morning as though nothing is different is like receiving a gift from your parents on Christmas morning and then immediately donating it to Goodwill. To take it in, to use it, to receive it. Number one, embrace the gift. Meditate on it. Think about it. Do it. Mary did. Ponder. Treasure. Bring it in. All the way into the recesses of the heart. Number two, slow down. Slow down. Talked about this last week. I'm talking about it this week. I'll talk about it next week and probably the week ahead. I'll just keep talking about this because we live in such a fast-paced culture. But if you do not intentionally slow down to drink in the wonder of Christmas this season, I promise you, you're going to miss it. God has something in store for you. I promise you. Will you receive it? 
Will you receive him? Will you, will you open up your lives to whatever it is that he's doing? I think about my, my two oldest boys, uh, kind of our bedtime routine is every night, they have these two cups that they got from Disney World that they want me to fill up with ice water so they can take back and leave it on their dresser by their bed so if they get thirsty in the middle of the night, they can you know, get some water. And so every night they'll come to the refrigerator and they'll have their little cups and Micah and Jack both want to get their cup filled first. And so they're always like vying and fighting and they're having some intense fellowship trying to get their cup to the top. And it's the same conversation every night at every night at the refrigerator. Hey, buddy, I can't pour water into your cup until it's still. I can't fill up a cup that's moving. And here's what I want to say to a lot of us, that a lot of our lives are like empty cups moving, and God is wanting to fill you up. He's wanting to do something in your life. He's wanting to pour the blessings of this season into your cup, but it's hard to fill a cup that is moving. And if you want to have the same depth with Jesus next year that you have this year, then just keep doing what you're doing right now. But if you want to know more deeply, you're going to have to steady the cup. You're going to have to slow it down. You're going to have to become a sponge. Pick the analogy you liked best today, but you have to slow down and drink in the wonder of God. Embrace the gift. Slow your life down. You may need to say no to some things. You may need to disappoint some people. You may need to take back your schedule, whatever it is. And number three, let this story have its way with all of your life. Let this story have its way with all of your life. For some of you, it's making a step to come to Jesus this season, to to entrust your life to him. I'd encourage you over the next 10 or 12 days to read Luke chapter two every morning. And to ask a different question, whatever question the Holy Spirit puts on your mind. God, how does this story change the way I view my money? God, how does this story change the way I view my job? Uh, God, how does this story change the way I view other races and other people and other genders and other situations? God, how does this story begin to change every aspect of it? How do I ponder it and take it in like Mary did? Is the story of Christmas... Will it impact you for the season or will it sustain you for the journey? Will you share it or will you be shaped by it? Will it flow through you or will it fill you fully? It's hard for me to express how excited I am for the next year because of what I think God has coming for us. But I believe in order for God to really do things through us, first, He's got to have his way in us. Let's pray as we get ready for communion.